Thank you, Sean, for that beautiful song. God, he gives grace in our trials, and we can be thankful in all things. Please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you want to follow along, you can find one in the bench there in front of you, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. In this chapter, Paul is going to compare his ministry with the false teachers who also called themselves apostles, and he is going to take off their Halloween mask. He's going to show us that they are really wolves in sheep's clothing, and we have them here today as well. They had given petty accusations about his travel plans. They had major accusations saying he's not even an apostle. And here in this chapter, we find one of the strongest warnings in all the Bible about false teachers. Would you please stand with me as I share with you a message unmasking false teachers. Unmasking false teachers, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent Satan beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom ye have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. Now this is not referring to the true apostles, but those that he is calling special or big shot apostles. Drop down to verse 13, he identifies them. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing that if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. May we pray. Our Father, thank you that we have the truth of the Word of God in our hands today, that we are not left to ourselves to figure out what is right and wrong, what is true, and what is an error. And I pray today that our faith in the Word of God and in Jesus Christ will be built up and strong, that we'll have deep roots in the truth of God, that we would believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and it is by faith. Speak to all of our hearts. Give Christians a discerning spirit that they might know what is good, what is wrong, what is right. I pray that you'd help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Today, the world is filled with false teachers, just as it was in the first century. What is a false teacher? What is he talking about here in this passage? Look with me in your notes. What is a false teacher? Simply put, a false teacher is someone who teaches something that is not true about God. They teach that heaven can be earned by doing rituals or good works. We call that religion, not a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
They teach in a God who is a fantasy and a God who is a figment of someone's imagination. False teachers extend way beyond distorted views of Christianity. It includes secular views. False teachers, it includes philosophers and false world religions. Buddhists are looking for nirvana. Hindus have over a million gods to worship. Buddhists and Hindus believe in a God who is impersonal, a God who is unknowable. Muslims believe that salvation comes to you if you obey Allah. Atheists want to expunge Christianity from the public eye in the marketplace. They don't want to hear Merry Christmas that reminds them of the birth of the Son of God. They want happy holidays. They don't want an Easter celebration that centers on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They want a spring vacation with holiday bunnies. What I'm saying is false teachers come in all shapes and all sizes. And yes, they are all very dangerous. Most Muslims believe that martyrdom and service to Allah is the only work guaranteed to send a worshiper directly to paradise. And so I'm sitting in a hotel at 6.15 in the morning on Saturday in Taiwan, and on comes the TV, terror in Paris. Terror in Paris. Terrorists yelled, Allah Akbar, as they killed 130 people in Paris. They wounded 350 more, and at least one had a Syrian refugee passport. Now, we all know that a normal thinking human being will not kill innocent children. We all know that a normal thinking human being will not kill strangers or even themselves. Our government and media says these terrorists, they have been radicalized. It is more accurate to say they have been demonized. How? By false teachers. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking here. They've come under the brainwashing of false teachers with the demonic influence to do those kinds of things. Unmasking false teachers. Paul does what he really doesn't like to do here, and that is to defend himself. And so look at verse 1. He says, will you, will you put up with a little uh, foolishness from me? Uh, he would rather speak of himself as a, as a clay pot, as a nobody. He feels more comfortable describing himself as a simple servant of God. In verse 1, he says, and indeed, you bear with me. That is, you've responded to my other letters. Now, please respond to this one. And so he builds, he builds four points in this passage, and they all begin with the word for, F-O-R, twice in uh, verse 2, once in verse 4, once in verse 5. So on page 2, we see that false teachers and their followers, first of all, are disloyal to God. They are disloyal to God. Look at verse 2, what he says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. Paul is concerned about their loyalty to God, to Christ, to himself, to the truth of God. And he says, I'm worried that you might get seduced by the false teachers. He says, I am jealous in the same way that, well, that a husband would feel towards an unfaithful wife who goes after other lovers. This is not a selfish jealousy. Uh, he adds, this is a godly jealousy. You are being disloyal to God. Do you know that godly jealousy is a major theme of the Old Testament? You look at the Ten Commandments, you come to the First Commandment. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Why? 
because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. What does that mean? That means that the Jews have been committing spiritual adultery. They've been getting statues of wood, statues of stone, and they fall down and they offer sacrifice and they worship them. And he says, that is spiritual adultery. I'm a jealous God. Don't do that. Be true. Be faithful to me. And so he says, I have a godly jealousy for this Corinthian church. False teachers and their followers, they're disloyal to God. Secondly, they are disloyal to Christ. And so we find the second four. For I have espoused you, I have engaged you to one husband, betrothed you, that I present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. What is he saying? He says to the church, I promised your hand in marriage to Christ. And I want to present you as a pure virgin to her husband. Now, this is a very graphic description of loyalty that Paul says that you and I are to have to Jesus Christ. He reminds them of a very simple analogy of a young couple uh, that are engaged to be married, and the wedding uh, is going to be coming, and during that engagement time, the woman is to be true. She is to keep herself pure, a pure virgin until the wedding day. Now, the Jewish wedding had basically two steps to it. It had the betrothal, we call engagement, and then the wedding ceremony. And, and we follow that pattern pretty much the same here in America. The difference is, in the Jewish uh, culture, two families made a binding contract for the betrothal. And it was so legally binding, it could only be broken through death or divorce, even during the engagement period. And Paul is saying that the actual wedding day, it hasn't come yet. Uh, during this one-year engagement period, two things happen. The groom-to-be built a house for his new bride. And it could be in addition to the father's house. It could be a separate house on the father's land. The groom-to-be built a house, and he saved money for the dowry to be given to the father of the bride. Wednesday night, Brother Vallette, he's, our missionary, he's been a missionary. He's now retired. His daughter was married here yesterday, Becky Vallette. Now she's Becky Oman. And Wednesday night, he says, Pat, I said, how's it going? He says, well, I haven't gotten the dowry yet, Pastor. I haven't gotten the dowry. You know, he missionary in South America. He wants a dowry. Well, uh, I found out Friday night he gave the dowry. He, he, gave, he gave the uh, sheep and the goat and the pig. I guess it was about this big, all right? <laughs> but Mike paid his dowry, and uh, they were married, and Becky was a chaste, pure uh, uh, bride on that wedding day. I want you to know this is the picture. This is the image that he has in his mind. And so what happened is the groom-to-be would build a house, and the bride-to-be, she was loyal to her future husband by her purity and her faithfulness. Notice, notice in your notes, this is the beautiful imagery of John 14 where Jesus said to his disciples, he says to his church, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... I would have told you, the bride, I, the groom, go to prepare a place for you, heaven. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, the wedding day, the rapture, and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. This is the picture that he has. Notice on page three of your notes. Jesus is pictured as the engaged groom who is leaving the bride during the engagement period, and he will come back at his second coming, and that is the rapture. 
That will be the wedding ceremony. And, it, and sometimes the wedding ceremony could last for a whole week, and that is a picture of the seven-year tribulation on earth while the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place in heaven. And he says, he says, Church, when I led you to Christ, when I betrothed you, you became engaged to Christ. And until he comes for you, I have a responsibility as your spiritual father to be able to keep you pure, to keep you pure from false teaching and false teachers. This is the wonderful duty of a father both then and now. It is the responsibility of a dad to protect his daughter, to keep her pure and chaste for the groom. This is true of our sons. What father here wants to give his daughter to a young man who has been addicted to pornography? Unfaithfulness during this engagement was considered adultery, punishable by death or divorce. We see that with Joseph and Mary. Joseph didn't know what to do when he discovered Mary's pregnancy. Now notice in verse 3, he says, But I fear, I am afraid. Paul was fearful that they would not be loyal to Christ. And so this book of 2 Corinthians reminds them that he is a true apostle and he is giving them the truth. And they had already showed signs of sheep. They could wander and be seduced by false teachers. What a beautiful picture. He is the father of the bride. In 1 Corinthians 4, he said, you have many tutors. You have many teachers. You only have one spiritual father in the faith. He says, I'm your spiritual dad, and I want to be able to present you to the groom, Jesus Christ. And so my responsibility is to warn you of the false teachers. Because if you are seduced by the false teachers, you will believe false teaching, and your life will be a mess. Be true to Christ. Be loyal to Christ. I have betrothed you, notice he says, to one husband. You know what this does? This refutes polygamy. The whole illustration breaks down unless you have one man, one woman. And so this refutes polygamy. And by the way, it refutes two people of the same gender. But the media, the religious leaders will say, ah, well, if you love each other, it's a family. Not according to God. It's one man, one woman, and that's the truth. That's the truth. That's the truth of God. That's how God made it. It only works with a man and a woman. That's how you can only have another generation. If you have a man and a woman, doth not even nature teach you this. But a false teacher will say, oh, a family is anyone who loves each other. Not true. It is a family tragedy when a guy and a girl who are engaged if they are seduced by someone else during their engagement. Tragic, but not nearly as tragic as the seduction of the bride of Christ, of Christians who are pulled away by false teachers and false doctrine. He gives an example, verse 3, of that of Eve. By any mean, lest by any means the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So notice, your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. Eve didn't believe she was sinning. Eve believed that she had some truth that wasn't accurate, and so now she is deceived by the devil. Uh, how? By the corrupting or the leading astray. People say, what is the single greatest threat to the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century in America? Lack of discernment. It is lack of discernment. People say, oh, why do, you, why do you always talk about truth? You talk about doctrine. Your standards are too high. No, not at all. 
not at all. When you're rooted in truth, what you believe and how you live comes out of that foundation of this is what's true. You come out of a foundation of truth. Don't be disloyal to Jesus Christ is what he says. Uh, The Christian life is very simple. There in your notes, it is loving Jesus Christ supremely. He created you. He made you. He saved you. And it is honoring him every day, honoring Jesus as your Savior, honoring Jesus as your Lord. And if you deviate from that, then you're disloyal in any sense to Christ, to be loyal to some other teaching. So the danger of false teachers is that they pull you from Christ to a ritual, to a ceremony, to works, to miracles, to experiences, to psychology, to entertainment, to noise, whatever it is, to pull you away from Christ. So false teachers, they're disloyal to God, they're disloyal to Christ. They're also disloyal to the gospel. In verse 4, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. What is he saying? He said, we preach to you the true Jesus. They have a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. Just because people talk about Jesus and they say, I love Jesus and I believe in Jesus, doesn't mean that it's the Jesus of the Bible. They say Jesus is their Savior, but you have to identify who is that Jesus. You know, he says here that they have a different spirit. What would the different spirit be? If it's not the Holy Spirit, what spirit would it be? It would be the devil. It would be the spirit of Satan. Right now, there's a very famous pastor on the radio. Some of you have already heard him. And in his own church, he accused his, his, his elders and deacons that called him out on excesses. He organized a majority of the elders, and they disciplined about six of their own leaders out of this mega church in 2013. He called his own elders. He called his own deacons satanic. And he said the church should stay away from them. And then he was pressured from inside the church. He was pressured from outside the church. And so a year later, they issued an apology last year to three of them and said, oh, 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 we were mistaken. We were mistaken. That is not godly. And that is not what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Paul has more discernment than that, and we should as well. False doctrine is spread by demonic angels, fallen angels. Their intelligence is far beyond ours. False teachers come with a different Christ and a different spirit. Now, last week, we came across a Buddhist temple right there on the street. And then we actually went into a second Buddhist temple. And I saw something I've never seen before. Buddhists burning money at the temple right there on the street. This is how it works. This is how it works. If you're a Buddhist... Uh, Part of your worship is you go to the Buddhist monk and you give him the real money and he gives to you fake money. It's called hell money, hell bank notes. It's temple money. And then you take that money and you, you burn it as part of your worship, part of your prayers, and you're sending the money on ahead to the deceased. And I want you to watch it right now. There's the fake money. What's going back? purchased this money. Um, I think it's to get her prayers answered. It's a sacrifice to God. 
And I just want you to think about it for a second. You take your money, you give it to the monk, he gives you fake money, and that's how you worship your God. Somebody's getting rich here. <laughs> Who would that be? That'd be the monk. Is that right? That would be the monk. And if there's a death, uh, and there has to be the, the burial, and everyone is, is, is cremated there, uh, you have to give a secret amount of money. Nobody knows. And if you tell, then all of your, your uh, relatives are damned. We walked into the temple, and I want, you to, I want you to look at the statue. It just has a ghoulish, demonic look to it because they are, they are, they are demonic. These statues are inspired by a host of demons. I, I took a picture of the altar. They come in, and they bring offerings of fruit. They bring offerings of flowers, and they give their money to be able to, to worship. It's a worship. We, had a, we have a man here from... Uh, from Taiwan and uh, my, my prayer partner Tiger B and he says it is a religion of fear it is a religion of fear and control uh, false teachers are behind that lastly disloyal to the truth disloyal to the truth uh, the marks of the true apostles first of all it is humility we see that in verse 6 and 7 he says you say I'm rude in speech uh, but I'm not in knowledge uh, and then he says in 7 have I committed an offense in abasing myself and we see this humility that the apostle Paul has and, and so they're just accusing him and what happened is among the Greeks a skilled orator a philosopher what he would do is he would get paid for his speeches and the Apostle Paul, he went to town. He didn't charge the money. And so look, look what you find here in verse 8. I robbed other churches, taking wages of them. Verse 7, he says that I preach to you the gospel of God freely. And this is the pattern we follow to this day. We send a missionary to a land, and the goal is not to be able to, to be there under false pretenses. And so we support the missionaries so that they can offer the gospel of God freely. Uh, so they cannot have a, a, a double-mindedness there. And, and that's true even of these missionaries from Philippines going to Cambodia, Cambodia to Vietnam to South Africa. Now, a national in his own country, there's much greater scrutiny and problems with supporting them. In America, we'll do it for two and a half, three years. But to be able to support a national long-term, uh, that can create problems. But to go to another country, they offer it freely. And Paul says, I robbed other churches. What he means is, he means is those poor churches in Macedonia, they gave me money. They impoverished themselves so that I could offer to you the gospel of God freely. And here now you accuse me. You accuse me. So Paul shows his humility. He shows the truth in verse 10. Uh, he says in verse 9, I didn't want to be a burden to you. Uh, I didn't even tell you all of my needs as the church has supplied my need for Macedonia. Verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. He preached the truth. And then love, verse 11, wherefore, because I love you not, God knows my heart. Now on page 4, uh, quickly we'll see the marks of the false teachers. First of all, it's pride. They're all about self-promotion. They're all about pride. But what I do that I will do, that I may cut off occasion, the reason from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. And then a key, a key mark of a false teacher is deception. They wear a mask. What's a deception? Verse 13. Such, and you should underline this, false apostles deceitful workers, 
transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. But he says, don't, don't marvel at this. Satan does it. Satan trans transforms himself into an angel of light. It's no great thing if his ministers, his pastors, his religious leaders also be transformed and pretend to be ministers of righteousness. You know, in Corinth, they knew exactly who Paul was talking about. They knew their names. They knew their addresses. They knew all about them. He doesn't call them brothers. He calls them false apostles. He calls them deceitful workers. He calls them satanic. You say, where do you stand on this, Paul? I mean, what do you really believe? I mean, he's not politically correct. He's calling a spade a spade. And he says, beware. Beware of these false apostles. He is a truthful preacher. They are masquerading. They are disguising themselves. And he pulls the mask off. And he says they deceive. How many times have you heard religious people, even preachers, defend homosexuality, defend abortion, defend immorality, even defend pornography, defend cursing in the pulpit? Don't be deceived. They are false teachers. And Paul calls them out. And we should as well, because God wants us to be pure in our doctrine, pure in our life choices, pure because we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the truth. We should be bold in the truth. Yes, speak the truth in love. I boarded the plane, looking forward to getting a little bit of sleep because it was 1 o'clock in the morning. Sit down beside a couple of guys from Manhattan. They're actually born in Jamaica, grew up in Manhattan. And uh, so we start talking, and, and this fellow tells me for 20 minutes, Yeah, we're going to Cambodia, and we're going to start nightclubs, and we're going to start restaurants. And, and, and he's just going on and on about what he's going to do there and, and all the prostitution that goes along with that. And he says, And what do you do? <laughs> I'm a pastor. <laughs> oh, could I ask you a question? I said, you sure can. This guy's name, uh, I'll tell you the truth, his name is Love. His, he said, my parents were hippies. And so his name is Love. And he says, let me, let, and so I began sharing how I got saved. I began sharing the gospel. And I felt like it was right there in Athens on Mars Hill, the dialogue and answering the questions and these people who love reason and love debate. And, and so uh, uh, he, and he says, you know what? He said, I used to believe, I used to believe this and this. But he said, this is what helped me. He said, someone asked me, what is the opposite of truth? And I said to him, a lie. And, and love said to me, he said, he said, no, this guy said, no, the opposite of a truth is another truth. I said, oh, really? Really? So what, what they believe is truth too. I said, what about, what about in India when a man died and they, they built a fire and they put the living widow on top of the widow pyre? That's their truth. You good with that? Well, No. I said, well, well, what about in the Arab world where they mutilate girls and teenage girls because they don't want them to have the, uh, the joy of intimacy of marriage? You good with that? Well, no. I said, what about in Vanuatu? Well, they take a grandpa and they bury him alive because he is no longer a producer. He is just a consumer. You good with that? I said, that's their truth. 
But that's a lie. And you get to judge and say what's true and what's not true. Well, I believe in a little bit of Hinduism, and I believe in a little bit of Buddhism, and I believe in a little bit of paganism. I said, no, you're, you're, it's called New Age. It's called New Age. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And it, it just reminded me again how the minds of our culture has been corrupted. This is truth. What God says is true. The Ten Commandments are true. And we need to teach our children truth. Because truth is reality. Truth, it, it's right. And so the application here is it's very simple. It is study the Bible to help yourself. Study the Bible to help yourself. I mean, the Bible says that if you will believe it and read it and meditate upon it and hear it preached and, and, and you will be faithful in the services, the Word of God will fill your heart and mind, you'll have success. Joshua 1.8. Secondly, study the Bible to help others. The best thing that you can do for someone else is to point them to the Bible, is to point them to Jesus Christ. And this guy, we, we slept for four hours and we woke up and the guy says, he said, hey, can we continue our polite conversation? I got another question for you. And we continued at it, pointing him to Jesus Christ, pointing him to the Word of God. You pray for him. His name is Love Nicholson. He said, here's my email. I want to stay in contact with you. I've given you two websites there that you might learn how to share your faith. Learn how to share your faith. This is the best thing that we can do for others. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you that the false teachers are unmasked by the truth of God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with the Word of God, the truth of God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here today and you have asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and you know for certain that heaven is your home, there is a time in your life that you made a commitment to become a follower of Christ. And you can say, Pastor, I know that heaven is my home because I'm saved. Would you raise your hand and hold it up high for just a moment? All over. God bless you. You can put your hands down. You'd say, Pastor, I, you know, I think I'm saved. I hope I'm saved, but I'm not sure. I'd like to pray with you today because I sense the Holy Spirit drawing me to Christ. Simply raise your hand and I'll lead you in that salvation prayer. Anybody at all, I would like to receive Christ today as my Savior. A lady did in the early service. How about you? Is God working in your heart? Yes, God bless you. Little girl in the back, anyone else would like to receive Christ today? Anyone else? Pray with me right now. Pray with me right there in your seat. From your heart, you can pray sincerely. You can pray silently. God will hear you. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose again. Please come into my heart and save me today. Christian, may I ask you, has your mind been corrupted? Have you been deceived by the false teachings of this world? Come back to the truth. Believe the truth. Be committed to God. And out of that truth, you can love Jesus Christ with all your heart, mind, and soul. Father, bless in the invitation. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. May we stand together as we stand quietly to sing 163. Only trust Him. As God speaks to your heart, maybe you want to respond today. Maybe you want to pray at the altar. Maybe there's someone you want to pray for. Maybe you'd like to speak to a pastor, a pastor's wife. You come, whatever the decision is, we sing together on the first verse, only trust Him. public invitation, but God's invitation is always open. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be, what? Saved. Saved. It's a joy to have Nate and Noah Bartholomew to come on the platform for just a moment. Both have been saved. Brothers that want to be able to follow the Lord and believers' baptism been here for a long time and so glad that God is working in their hearts and they would like to be obedient to the Lord and be baptized, become part of the church family. So all those in favor of receiving Nate and Noah Bartholomew into our church upon their baptism, let it be known with a hearty amen. 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 Guys, you're in. All right, good. You can stand down front there. You can be seated in the front row. You may be seated as well. In just a moment, you come by and be able to congratulate uh, Nate and Noah on their decision to be obedient uh, to the Lord. want to ask you to be able to pray for our missionaries in Kiribati. Uh, This is also down there in the South Pacific. Joel and uh, Brooke Deku. And as we think about the South Pacific, thank you for praying for the uh, media team uh, down there in Vanuatu with Brother Phil Pinero, Jeremy Pinero. Successful trip. And uh, we'll be putting together some more of the stories of God working down there uh, in the South Pacific. And then for Thanksgiving, uh, we will be having our Thanksgiving uh, service Tuesday night, 7.15, no Wednesday service. And then we'll have our testimonies on Tuesday night not tonight as we normally do with the Lord's Supper since we'll be doing it on Tuesday. I've asked another gentleman to share testimony tonight. I'll also be sharing about what God is doing there in Asia. You want your kids, you want your teens to be here uh, to hear how God is working uh, through the Stones and through the Freemans, through these other missionaries. It'll build your faith uh, and to hear them tell the stories and see tears streaming down their face will touch your heart. You want to be out tonight, 6 o'clock for the Lord's Supper. Turkey Bowl is a... Teenager, uh, boys, men's football game, Thanksgiving Day, 9 o'clock, 
right down here at the Black Rock Road. Just uh, as you pull into the uh, park area, make a left turn all the way up to the end, and you'll find us there at 9 o'clock. Canadian Mission Trip Planning Meeting. The mission trip will be in June. Uh, it is a construction trip. It's uh, uh, Jody's uh, home church. Uh, her father there is a pastor, Pastor John Fries, a New Hope Baptist Church. There's eight spots still needed for the construction trip. They're going to be putting up a, uh, a new auditorium, a uh, wood frame auditorium. And so if you'd like to be out to learn about that, it'd be an inexpensive trip in June. Uh, go down to the chapel right after the service tonight. Also in Chapel B, uh, there'll be a meeting for those who'd like to help out with the Share Joy Run event on Saturday. We're looking for uh, help with parking attendance, water station attendance, setting up the tables at 8, staffing the post-race refreshments. Uh, we'll be sharing the gospel there. Volunteer meeting tonight in Chapel B right after the service to, uh, uh, to get your assignments for that. All right, at this time, I think we have a baptism. This morning, we have a brother and sister. It's the, the burpees this morning. And the first one is going to be Breton. He's the older brother, not the oldest brother in the family, but the older brother. And uh, they have uh, both sets of grandparents here today as well to, to watch that. So we're glad to have you here in the service this morning. Breton was saved uh, at the Bill Rice Ranch initially, and then he just recently, after computer class back in October, recommitted himself to the Lord and trusted Christ as his Savior. If you rejoice with his salvation, say amen. 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 Breton, upon your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in obedience to the Great Commission, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, buried with him in the likeness of his death, and raised again in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen. And now his younger sister, Brooke, will come. This is Brooke Burpee. And Brooke, can you see Brooke here? She is, all right. Brooke was saved about five, six years ago after uh, a master club uh, service, and she trusted Christ as her Savior. If you rejoice with Brooke's salvation, say amen. 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 Brooke, it is my joy to baptize you today. Based upon your profession of faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in obedience to the Great Commission, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, buried with Him in the likeness of His death, raised again in the likeness of His resurrection. Oh, it's exciting to see our young people following the Lord, obedient to Jesus Christ. Let's all stand together. We dismissed in a word of prayer. Come by and congratulate Nate and Noah on their decision to be able to be obedient in baptism. See you tonight, 6 o'clock for the Lord's Supper. Pastor Elstock, if you lead us in, in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this message this morning, and I pray that we would be discerning in our Christian walk. And Lord, I pray that we learn the Scriptures so that it can protect us against false teachers. Thank you for the practicality of the message this morning. And also thank you for Noah and for Nate uh, being willing to follow you in baptism. Thank you that you've led their family to our church. May we serve you faithfully together. And I pray for the Dekus as they minister on the islands. And would you use them to establish churches and help us to continue to, to hold the, the rope for them. And, uh, and to be faithful to you and to be faithful to them in supporting them. 
And then, Father, we thank you for this special season of Thanksgiving. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You give to us far more than we deserve. We love you, Lord, and we want to serve you faithfully. And, and we are appreciative of all the blessings, especially for the blessing of salvation. And then, Lord, I pray for the outreach effort this uh, Saturday, the Share Joy Run. Would you use that event to get the gospel to uh, people in, in desperate need of truth, though they may not even be aware of it? Uh, Lord, help us to faithfully walk with you all this week. Give uh, journey mercies to those in our church family that's traveling over the holidays. And uh, may it just be a wonderful time with family. In Jesus' name, amen.